Welcome to Reliability Leader, a podcast about how leaders make organizations that create reliable technology. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Today, I want to talk about accelerated life testing, alt testing. And it's part of the holy trinity of reliability tests, in my opinion. Any good product development program that has a reliability program should have cornerstones in its testing program of accelerated life testing, halt testing, and reliability growth testing. But in this episode, we're just going to talk about accelerated life testing. So what's the objective with accelerated life testing? What we are looking to do is to characterize the primary wearout failure mode for a product. What does that mean? Well, first, in my opinion, it's not a failure mode. We are looking to understand how the life of a good product ends. How does it wear out? So if this was a car tire, this would be the car tire tread wearing down as expected. So it's such a base characteristic in a design in car tires, it's actually listed as part of the name of the tire. This is a 60,000 mile tire, our model XYZ. That is the wear out failure mode. And typically it has the ability to be monitored and you should see a predictable degradation curve. So in the example with the tire, that would be the tire tread wearing down. So this is very different than random failures during life, which is typically what we're talking about when we talk about the reliability of a product. The wearout failure mode is not what we're referring to. It's part of the definition for what the reliability goal is because at that time period, failures that occur beyond that should not be considered uh, as a hit on the reliability goal. Obviously when tire tread wears down, um, that's not a failure if it does it at the correct timeline or if the tire pops because you've run it through where the tire tread was worn all the way down to the steel belts and then it pops, that is not the product failing. So the random failures during life, like a flat tire or if the tread comes apart or there's cracking in it, those are the failures that are happening during use life. So these are different. So why it's so important to understand how these are different is because we are going to break up the data set from any testing into these two categories. And we have to be very sure that the data sets are clean. So this is one of the first pitfalls with XRA life testing. And that is when you're running an XRA life test that you record all failures and use all the failures in your XRA life test model. And if by chance there were failures that were not the degradation failure mode, like the, let's say in the tire case that uh, was a flat tire or something happened with the tread, you know, being defective and coming apart, that should be removed from the data set. That's not what we're looking to measure. Remember, it's not really a failure. We're looking to measure the degradation profile for the product.
So for that to be possible, we have to have very good root cause analysis methods. We have to be able to root cause what we've observed as a some kind of performance variability and cleanly bucket it into the one of three categories. In this case, I'm kind of lumping two of them together. The three categories being quality manufacturing defect errors, random life failures, and the wear out failures. So if we haven't figured out how to root cause and how to group these, uh, one is obviously we can put data in the wrong sets. And secondly, even if we do it correctly and we don't have it well documented and have a clear methodology, the next person who runs this test that may be wanting to compare against our set may interpret the failures differently. So if that's inconsistent, now it's going to begin to paint a picture that is not accurate. So some common XRA life tests are ones that are based in the Arrhenius model or the Coffin-Manson model. So why do we have models? Well, we have models because we don't have enough time to run the product to full life within our product development program. If this is a product that normally could be used continuously in a use case, and uh, has a life expectancy of five years, well, obviously we don't have five years and there's no downtime or duty cycle to compress by taking out the downtime to compress that. So this could be a fan um, that is in some piece of industrial equipment that runs 24 hours a day or lots of other pieces of industrial manufacturing equipment that have you know 24 hour uh, light, uh, duty cycles. So how do we then within a year and a half product development program demonstrate this five year life? Well, we have to characterize the primary wear failure mode, the stresses that drive it and look for an opportunity through elevated stresses to compress the time to that degradation wear out failure mode, and then be able to through an equation extrapolate out to the real time. So for example, I mentioned the Uranius model. This is a very common model. And people describe this as a study of physics of failure, but I like to call it a study of chemistry of failure. Because what the Arrhenius model looks to do is to elevate temperature, to increase reactions between materials, uh, with the assumption that the primary wear at failure mode is driven by material property changes over time. So this is very popular with electronics. There's a lot of electronic systems that fail because over time, the dielectric properties, the resistive properties, and you know maybe even uh, you know breakdown across uh, junctions uh, can fail. And this happens because the products are at a high temperature when they're normal operating use, and they're interacting with oxygen, and they're changing. And for some electronics, as much as a 10 degrees C increase can, in fact, uh, cut the life in half. So this is what happens in real life usage, but also that's a way to compress the life in the norm, in the XRA life test model. And so then if you go up 20 degrees or 30 degrees, the compression gets quite dramatic because it is an exponential equation. I also mentioned the Coffin-Manson model. So the Coffin-Manson model is temperature transition. So it's not just a set elevate temperature. This is a stress that occurs throughout a product's entire life where it ranges between two temperatures. So this might be something that's outside 
and during the daytime it has a high temperature and during the nighttime it has a low temperature. And it goes through this 24 hour cycle for its entire life. And that is in fact the stress driving its primary wear out failure mode. Maybe this product has a plastic case and the plastic case protects it against uh, the elements. There's sensitive electronics inside. And it is the expansion and contraction that eventually fatigues the plastic and it breaks. Maybe there is part of that plastic housing that on the bottom has an aluminum lining on the inside that will, ex will create mechanical stress because it'll expand more and push against the bottom part, not the top, and that could induce cracks. So in that case, we would use the Coffin-Manson model. And the way that model works is you cycle the product in test but you do it at greater temperature ranges. So instead of, let's say in your use case is zero degrees Celsius to uh, 30 degrees uh, uh, Celsius, um, in your Coffin-Manson test, you would do negative 20 to 50. And that would compress this failure mode. And you use the Coffin-Manson model. Then when you had a failure at six weeks, in test at that negative 20 to 50 to extrapolate that as to a normal failure in five years if you were to be going between zero and 30. Now another very common pitfall is to take a Xeri Life test and that you have established uh, and used in a previous product and to then just simply apply it blindly to your next generation product. And, you know, there can be, you can accidentally kind of get into a sense of security in that, you know, this is used in very much the same way. The key thing there being very much, not exactly the same way. So let's take, for example, you had a wiring harness on a motorcycle. And you have a motorcycle design that has uh, it's a sport bike, so it has body fairings and it's kind of enclosed and very aerodynamic. And <clears throat> we've decided that with this extremely complex machine with motors, tires, brakes, that actually, interestingly enough, what tends to be the wear out failure mode to where people dispose of the bike and where we don't want to promise good reliability anymore is the electrical system. It starts getting so many electrical bugs that it just isn't worth it anymore. So we look into realizing that it's the heat over time causing the plastics and the plastic connectors to break down and to lose, you know, we'll say it's the retention mechanism that eventually gets brittle and cracks or can't maintain its engagement. And you begin to get moisture in the connectors and you get resistance in there. And that's when it just becomes a nightmare and it's not worth it anymore. And we expect that to happen at, you know, we'll say a, if it's depending on the use case, of course, inside or how much it's used, we'll say that that is going to be 50,000 miles of use, assuming it's, um, you know, all of their factors being equal. So we have designed a new wiring harness for our new bike, but this new bike is a bike that's not a sport bike. It doesn't have fairings on it. And we just take our previous model of the temperature uh, cycling with the motor and we, the Coffin Manson model, and we use it. And we say, okay, our new wiring harness, our new clips will have an equivalent life of, um, you know, 12 years should be fine. 
But here's the mistake. Even though the wiring harness has the same function and it's on a motorcycle, it's a different motorcycle. This one doesn't have body panels on it. In this case, the connectors are exposed to UV, ultraviolet, and to much more moisture. So that UV exposure with moisture turns out to be the main stressor causing the wear out in those connectors. It, end, it ends up being dominant over the heat cycling. So what we actually want is to have an Xari life test based in UV exposure. So you can see in that example how something that seems to be apples to apples can actually have very subtle differences that can have a tremendous impact. So we have to be very careful. What we also have to be aware of is that we are creating IP when we develop our Xari life tests. Because as I just described, there's a lot of nuances, subtleties, and studies that we will do that will help us derive really special approaches to Xari life testing. We need to document these carefully. We need to respect really how valuable they are. A lot of work goes into them, and a lot of times you see that they're just left as tribal knowledge, and people leave, or they forget, or they wrote it down somewhere they can't find it. So I find that Xari life testing methodology is one of the greatest losses of IP in the reliability world for individual companies, because your products are very unique to you. Even though you're using that motorcycle example, they had wiring harness connectors they didn't design, their application of them and how that then in combination with the design and the use case, um, you know, drove a very unique approach to studying when wear out would occur. That is their IP. That can put them ahead of their competitors uh, in the market. If all motorcycles had a primary wear out fare mechanism of you know, poor connections of oxidation because of connectors wearing out. And that was kind of the standard in that industry. And you figured out a way to make models for specific bike styles that were super tuned into it. There's a lot of ways you can leverage that to great benefit. One is first, obviously, you'll be making pretty accurate predictions and you won't be at risk of having a new design come out that suddenly has a very high early life fail field failure rate. And you have to remember, these failures are across the board. This is a design characteristic, if you recall. That's how I described it. So that means that, let's say, in fact, this plastic was in no way prepared to handle UV, and these failures would start to occur within two years. That's every bike out there of that model potentially failing in two years. That is a, a tremendous impact financially. That could be within the warranty period. Obviously, brand damage is tremendous. And uh, you're also going to have a lot of scrambling of engineers trying to redesign this that are now not working on your next generation products. So those are a few key points uh, on Xari life testing, uh, which is, like I said, part of the holy trinity of reliability tests. The next two episodes, I'm going to be talking about hall testing and reliability growth. But keep in mind those pitfalls. It is a very powerful tool that is relatively simple as long as you do your homework and you're very thorough and are really making sure you understand what is driving the strategy you've implemented. All right, hope everybody's doing good out there. Talk soon.